prolific is not necessarily 10,000 words a day or something like that. It's more like, how do I write till I'm 100 years old? What are those things to do? I like to listen to Peter Atia, who's more like about physical training, but he's like, you don't want to do something now where you're getting yourself injured and then you're out for six months. I think of writing very much the same way. Like that's prolific to me. It's like a legacy of writing. Write the world-changing book that will help grow your personal brand and your business as it makes the world a better place. Welcome to The Author's Corner, hosted by Robin Colucci. Every episode, we bring you some of the most successful authors, as well as other industry experts, to share some inspiration, motivation, tactical strategy, and fun. We'll also talk about the challenges and trends in the publishing industry. Don't get stuck in the idea phase. Join the Author's Corner today. Start writing the book you've dreamed about. Hello, and welcome to the Author's Corner. I am your host, Robin Colucci. And if you have ever struggled with writer's block, with finding the time to write, with trying to figure out when to write and when to edit and what to do when you read something you just worked on for three hours and you think it's awful, then you are in the right place right now. Because today I have with me our guest, Brock Swinson. Now, Brock has written a book, which by the way, I think is a terrific book called Ink by the Barrel, Secrets from Prolific Writers. And in it, Brock uses advice from his own experience, as well as things that he's gleaned and read from other successful writers and creators, and also from interviews that he has done for his own podcast, Creative Principles, where he interviews writers, directors, actors, and musicians of the highest tier, people like Aaron Sorkin, Ethan Hawke, and Judd Apatow, about the habits, routines, and methods of a creative life. And as Brock unpacks in his book, he breaks it down into three areas of focus. One is about time, finding and using your time well to write your book. The other two parts, one is about voice, the other is about process. And this is about figuring out who you are as a writer and what you really want to say. And then how on earth do you get it done? And this episode is filled with golden nuggets for you to take back to your writing desk and help you become a prolific writer. So probably want to get out your pad and pencil for this one. Brock, welcome to the Author's Corner. Thanks for having me. Glad to be here. Well, I'm really delighted to have you here. I was looking over your book and I really found so many nuggets that I'm, I'm just like, wow, this, this guy has some really terrific advice. And so the first question would be, what had you decide to write this book? I mean, the big thing is just doing a, a ton of interviews, I'm sure, as you know. Uh, I'm a writer for Creative Screenwriting Magazine. That led to my podcast, Creative Principles. Now I've done over 400 episodes. At the time of the writing, I'd probably done about 250 and you start to see some like themes and ideas and it's a great place for me to kind of ask questions of where I'm struggling with my own, you know, process and some of those things. So 
it really just like i think i came to this big conclusion that like you're going to get to the quality through quantity so i really obsessed that idea of what it means to be prolific the show itself i would say we focus on where does creativity meet productivity mm. and that kind of the, the equation there is being prolific so that's the big idea uh, the book's called ink by the barrels secrets mm. from prolific writers yeah and i noticed that it seemed like a lot of the people that you were quoting were coming directly from your interviews yeah, it's definitely a mix. I, I yeah. started writing this like during COVID. So there was a pile of like me talking to people. And then also I was reading a ton. So I had like yeah. extra time. So I was reading probably a book a week. So I got to dissect all of the Stephen King on writing and the Ryan yeah. Holiday books and all those great books. And uh, Elizabeth Gilbert, a lot of them just left an impression on me. And mm -hmm. I, so I started to, I, I write with what's called the note card system, like the commonplace book. Ryan Holiday does the same thing. So like I'm working on my next book now. So I have a giant stack of note cards next to me. It's a lot. That's how I wrote this book. I kind of just throw them in a pile and then I start to see where the conclusions are leading me. It's kind of a reverse mm -hmm. method. Mm -hmm. I, talked to, I talked to Rich Cohen recently. He does the same thing as opposed to like, I would say Malcolm Gladwell has an idea and finds advice to support that idea. I think it's harder to write that way. I think most people are taught to write that way, but this way you kind of get to like you, cause you're reading and studying things. And in this case, asking questions that are going towards something. I don't quite know what it is. I've just kind of recently figured out what my next book is about, but it's after putting almost a thousand note cards in a pile and it's kind of coming to conclusions that way. Yeah. That brings me to something that I saw show up over and over in your book is that you, you mention research, the importance of yeah. research a great deal. And, and I found it interesting that you mention it in multiple contexts, mm -hmm. like it, it shows up in various chapters in a way, kind of maybe proving a different point or proving the same point from a different angle. So I'd, I'd love to hear you share with our listeners a little bit more about, you know, is this an obsession with research? And <laughs> <laughs> So, or, or, you know, what, may, what, yeah. what, what, why? Because obviously you're perceiving the importance of it. So I would love to hear from you firsthand. Yeah. I mean, if, yeah. if, if the obsession, let's say, is to be prolific, the opposite of that is writer's block. I don't really believe in writer's block. Mm. I say in one chapter, it's BS. Right. And I think one thing is if you try to sit down and write the next great American novel, you're going to call some roadblocks. But typically, if you're stuck on an idea or can't get to the next chapter, or in screenwriting, a lot of times it's your second act is falling apart. Right. Usually it's research. <laughs> usually you haven't done mm. enough research to put mm. that time in. I think the writing process is shifting your mindset between, okay, I'm in research phase. Phase, I'm in writing phase. I'm in editing phase. Mm -hmm. If you can start to do those things, I think you'll find less roadblocks. Mm -hmm. So this is like, yeah, I'm throwing these in a pile and ideally I'll have way more than I need when I'm ready to write the next book. But if I do get stuck somewhere or for writing a movie and we can't figure out something, I have a writing partner I work with on some movies. We usually can go watch some other films in that genre. I'm like, okay, here's how they did it. We don't want to copy it exactly, but here's a solution. Let's mm -hmm. figure out our solution based mm -hmm. on some other evidences out there. Yeah, and I caught that when you were talking about the writing phase and the editing phase. That was a whole look at myself in the mirror moment because I am such an editor. Like I edit everything automatically. Like I can't read a sign on a bus without thinking about how it might have been written better. So... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so that's the one I struggle with the most is editing while I'm writing. Yeah. Do you have an Achilles heel in that triad? <laughs> oh, definitely. And I've told some people like, whatever your thing is, it's it's almost like AA. It's like a one day at a time type thing. Right. You can't just like <laughs> flip a switch and fix it. So I think if that's an issue, like 
what I would maybe say a lot of people have that same problem is like try to almost be like free form where you're like speed riding and like you know it's mm -hmm. kind of junk but there's mm -hmm. some lines that are going to be really quality there and then you're going to start to figure out okay that's the first draft you're right. just kind of spitting it out there and ironically though like I interviewed this guy named Matson Tomlin he wrote the new Batman movie a year or two ago he was writing a script every year I mean a script every month 120 oh, wow. pages a month he was churning them out mm. and that led to a Jamie Foxx movie and a new Batman movie and that's insane. And, yeah. and 10 of those probably weren't really good scripts, but he just like chose to be prolific for a while till he figured out the formula. Mm. And then he can kind of start to adjust after that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I do, I do find when you're writing in a new form, I think that that can be super helpful. Like I'm in the process yeah. of writing a one woman show, which I've never written before. And I write a lot of books, right? But that I had to just vomit it out because yeah. I just felt so low competency to write anything that I just had to write something and just write whatever came to mind. You can almost trick yourself. I think if you put too much pressure, like I'm going to get up at five and write the perfect one woman show. <laughs> a lot of people will like, I'm just going to like, you can lie to yourself and say, I'm just going to think about this while I'm doing the dishes and then maybe jot some things down on my right. phone. And then you've actually started, but you don't know you started it. <laughs> and then it's not so much like capital W writing the next morning when it's time to, to sit down and do it. I'm working with a couple of students now. I did this um, prolific challenge. It kind of pairs with the book. It's on my website now too, but like the idea was a video companion to go with the book and just encourage people to get in the habit of writing for 30 days. And I worked with like a dozen people while I was doing that. And there was one woman who she's great at poetry. And I think the part is like, she's great at writing for about 20 minutes and likes to get something done in 20 minutes. Right. right? Gotcha. But then she wanted to like <laughs> shift to short stories. So I was trying to show her how to maybe move over. I was like, well, what you could do is pick a theme you like that might be your short story theme and write 10 poems around that. And you're mm -hmm. kind of tricking your way into moving into it. So I think whenever you can, you know, trick yourself a little bit and you can actually start writing and, and kind of move along that way. Yeah. I think my tactic that I, now that, now that you're describing this, I'm realizing I did use a tactic and that is talking into my Apple watch while I was walking yeah. on the beach. And then <laughs> yeah. I, and then I'd go back and play it and, you know, and I'd be, Oh, that wasn't too bad. I'll just type that in. <laughs> yeah. It's not all desk stuff too. There's, this is from Elizabeth Gilbert too. Like you can be the tortured martyr or the playful trickster. The tortured martyr is what you often see in movies. It's the writer banging their head against the desk, but you can also just go have fun with it. Yeah. However, that plays out for you the beach or doing the dishes or whatever you get to think about it hiking or something like that yeah I do like that I think that when you're moving your body and you're out of your office or wherever it is that you think you should be sitting to write yeah. for me that really opens up a lot especially if I'm writing a song or something like that it mm -hmm. really helps to be moving so okay now I've got because a lot of things I saw a lot of cool things so I want to I saw a lot of great quotes that you have in here that I lifted that I'd love <laughs> to have you elaborate on sure Chase Jarvis, pros don't wait till they're pros to act like pros. Yeah. The people who make it are the ones who are willing to show up and do the work without approval, permission, or praise. Yeah, this this is sort of the, the theme of the new book I'm writing. Like, I'm really obsessed with the idea that here's another quote that I mentioned, too, is like everybody wants to get to a point and hand the keys over. They want to be discovered. They want to hand it to the publicist. <laughs> and it just doesn't work that way anymore. So nope. I think you have to almost like it's 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 great to collaborate and find partners and different people to work with, whatever your final project is. But 
you have to lead it in a way. It's like, I'm going to cross the goal line with this, regardless of you coming with me. It would be great if you want to jump on, but if not, I'm going to do this. Yeah. There's actually a movie poster behind me right now. I'm making my first movie and I'm doing it very much this way. Like I'm, it's a documentary. So I'm interviewing people, doing research, talking, and then I, I want to find partners and producers and everything else. But I'm assuming that no one's ever going to help me, that the Calvary is not coming, that no uh -huh. one's going to pay me a big check or whatever. So, I, so I'm planning multitudes of way. Like, can I do this with crowdfunding? Can I do this with streamers? Can I do this here? So I'm going in a way that like, I'm going to get this thing made. And that's got more of a, for those people who haven't, have never tried that, or it sounds daunting. It is a bit daunting, but it's got a gravitational pull and people see how serious you are. They're more likely to want to talk to you about that or see what's next or kind of follow up and see what you're doing with it. Yeah. And I think that when you have that, I'm doing this no matter what yeah. attitude, I think it actually attracts resources to you oddly. Yeah. Right? right. But if you're waiting for an invitation or if you're waiting for permission, yeah. then nothing happens. Almost every time I've taken a chance, it felt like like it's something that would be a coincidence type thing, right. but it seems to happen. You can call yeah. it law of attraction or manifesting or whatever, but it's just like, you know, you stumble into it and it's because yeah. you're doing these things. And then like your luck seems to increase like or whatever it is, it does seem to kind of exist out there. It's so true, but it follows action. Yeah. Right. And, and for me, when I have that experience, it's like, I'll get a little thing like you should go do this. Yeah you know, you should go to this party or you should go to this event or you should go or somebody yeah. invites me to something and then I get that little, oh yeah, go to this, mm -hmm. right? And then every time, and sometimes there's an obstacle that shows up, right? That would give me a, an excuse not to go, but I go <laughs> anyway. And that's when the magic, that's when something magical happens. Yeah. I definitely think there's something there. I'm doing this little uh, daily blog now and I'm sharing it with people who follow me and I'm, I've got this crazy goal that I'm doing like every day for like 60 days. Can it be accomplished? Basically I'm trying to like forex my income through books and different things like that. And these things start to like magically happen. It's very odd. And I can't really explain it other than that. I think though, like some of these things you can't explain, but some of it's just like such a clear focus that every choice is actually binary. It's like, does it lead me to this conclusion or does it not? And that's how you, yeah. and your choices are all, all of a sudden a lot simpler than they used to be. Right. Well, or could it lead closer? Right. Because if you, if you don't show up guaranteed, it's not going to get you closer. Right. Right. Yeah. Right. But then is this is this opportunity a distraction or is this opportunity potentially yeah. going to lead me to my goal? Which actually brings me to another point, because you do talk about distraction and the need to rid yourself of them and how mm. that frees you to actually do the work. And I, it's funny because I just got a book in the in the mail the other day. It's by the same guy who wrote The War of Art, but it's uh, Pressfield. Yeah, yeah Pressfield. Yeah, and Pressfield. it's but it's the other one. He's got a bunch. He wrote one called Turning Pro that's kind of my Turning favorite. Pro. That's the one some I was of, thinking of. Thank some you. Some of that stuff's there. Yeah, I haven't yeah. started reading. It's just by my bedside right now. But yes, but yeah. that's that's the idea. So please elaborate on that from your point of view. Yeah, I love his stuff too. It's like little like Seth Godin type short anecdotes. And my book is, is kind of written in that way as well. But I, I think Turning Pro is just like, yeah, that's kind of what you originally were asking me. Like, you don't wait to be pro to start acting like a professional. What that would mean is like, I've heard like, Terry Crews said this too, the, the big like um, athletic actor. 
you start acting as if you already have wealth, if you already have these things. And it's like, how does that day look? So if I'm thinking of myself in the future from now, let's say you want to be like a six figure author. What does that person do every day? They probably get up at the same time. They probably write, they probably, they either do a little social media or they delegate it to someone else. There's some kind of a presence there and you can go look and like, you can figure out, I really want to emulate these three to five authors. What do they do? And then that's kind of your answer right there. And you start living in, in that embodiment of this future self. And it's, it's, there's an idea of future self being, regardless of your past, you're pulled towards who you want to become. And it's by your small actions every day. Mm -hmm. It's that whole concept of acting as if you already yeah. are that person, but maybe not spending as if you have the money yet. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so a little tiny thing, like I'm doing this thing now with like, if I were to Forex my money, like a little tiny thing is just like, I tip a lot better than I used to. I tip more than 20% now. Mm -hmm. That's something I know I would do, you know, with more income and everything else. So that's like a little way to just start to get in that habit. Yeah. And I do think there's also like your attitude towards money when, when your goal yeah. is to, to raise your income, you do need to change your attitude towards money. You need to get out of the attitude of if I lose this money, there's no more money. Yeah. Cause that's really not true. Yeah. Because if you can't take those risks and make those investments that you sometimes need to make to forward your, your goals, then you'll I get think stuck it's, there that's, too. That's like, it's such tiny steps to actually publish the, today I wrote an article like, can you really move from scarcity to abundant mind? Like on a simple term, we understand what that means. Scarcity people reuse Ziploc bags in their kitchen. Abundance people restock the kitchen every week and they have lots of fresh fruits and vegetables and whatever. That's, that's the simplest way to do it. But so we had a leak in our basement and I waited three days trying to fix it myself because it's still baked in to be scarcity <laughs> and everything else. Right. I should have hired a guy the first day and like spend a little bit of money and now we've got now the problem is very like metaphorically the problem is worse the water is worse all these things are happening <laughs> right and as i start to finally throw away stuff that i should have thrown away years ago i'm just like surrounded by okay i really and again it's like a one day at a time type mm -hmm. shift like it's it's obvious for the billionaire to tell you oh just be abundant minded but there is mm -hmm. a a kind of way of like, well, I need money now, but I need to do this. Mm -hmm. So when I work with students, I'm like, there's some jobs you're going to take now, like as copywriting, they're just paying the bills, but you need to be like spiraling upward in a way that you're going towards things that interest you most until you get to where you're making movies or, or films or books or whatever your thing is. You're just, you're kind of going up that mountain in the right direction is the only thing you can really try to do. Yeah. And I don't know about you, but I have found in my entrepreneurial journey, right, which has been going on for over 30 years now, and there have been certain key points where I've had to take a giant leap of faith yeah. and put a lot on the line. But man, it has catapulted me, you know, every time. I mean, of course, you also have to do the work after you make the investment. Yeah. But, you know, in one case I'm thinking of, I, I 5X my income in one year mm. by committing to a $25,000 a year program when I had $500 in my bank account. Yeah. And some of that so, is perceived know, it, risk. Yeah, yeah. It's definitely like perceived risk. But if you can get yourself in that, it's so, it's so powerful to work with coaches and like mastermind groups where you mm -hmm. can step into a situation where everyone doing that, that's the normal situation for them, like wherever you want to be. It's going to change the way you think. I just worked with Pace Morby for about a year and a half. I did a lot of funnels for him and copywriting and got to hang out with him and all this kind of stuff. He'll be a billionaire in a very short period of time. Mm -hmm. And just like when I would say something and, and he would kind of say, why don't you do this? 
said like it was something I would never see myself, but it was such like an obvious way to when you work with people that are five or 10 levels ahead of you, they're just going to see such clarity that you can't see. Right. And I think like as much as I want people to get a ton from this book, uh, a coaching program sometimes will do more because it's, it's kind of like reading a book versus going to therapy. Like, oh, I can tell you exactly what this thing is. Not like you can read all the books you want, but if you're still reading in your same mindset, yeah. you can only grow so much, you know? Mm -hmm. And with a coach, I, mean, I, I was coached by David Nagel for a number of years oh, nice. and he's <laughs> an outstanding mindset coach. And, you know, there's just nothing like a really good coach can just see right through your BS and call you out yeah. and, you know, you, there's nowhere to run. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. And that's when you grow though, you know, that's when you grow and it's, it's, uh, yeah. it's, it's a really great thing. And kind of a mild thing, like we're talking more, you know, possibly thousands or tens of thousands of dollars, a mild little thing I did when I first like got serious about kind of making a brand and getting myself out there. Cause I've, I've been a ghostwriter for years and a copywriter for years. I hired an assistant for like $10 an hour. So when I talked to her and said, Hey, I'm going to get these three things done. I'm going to get this to you. I'm and now you're employing someone. Mm -hmm. That's like a little way for like a hundred bucks a week or something. All of a sudden you have some help to delegate to. You can also see where your priorities are. But you've got this extra little bit of accountability that yeah. you might may not have had before. You know, that is so true, too, because if I tell my team, you know, I'm going to record this podcast intro today yeah. and I don't do it and I'm not accountable for for not doing it if I don't do it, yeah. then how do I hold them accountable? Right. Right. And, and, so, <laughs> and so it yeah. really does incentivize you on multiple levels yeah. to be accountable to your commitments with, you know, if, to yourself and to your team. There's just little things you can do. Like some, I'm starting on medium, like fresh, the blog sites, I'm getting like no views right now, but I'm also like, I did that challenge and a thousand people joined. So I have a thousand people who are reading my emails. So like I can, and I can see the percentages, like I can, I can throw it out in medium and it's like in a void. It feels like that. And it's more encouraging for me to stop because I just did this one little thing and a thousand people signed up and I have these people reading and responding to emails. It feels more real. So whenever things feel more real, I think you're going in the right direction. You're going to get some feedback. You're going to create accountability. So the more things you can do to, again, like turn pro, think how the professionals think, even though it's like a small number, but you can, you know, the whole thousand tribe thing, I mean, it does work. A thousand true fans is very real. I've worked with people who make well over six figures with less, like a, a small audience of a thousand or a couple thousand people. Was it, Don't they say like, if you have a real tribe, like a loyal tribe of yeah. a thousand, it's like a million that you're going to make? It's like... Or it definitely that... could be. So it, it kind of depends what you're doing, you know? Yeah. So the, the most basic I've seen across the board, I worked at ClickFunnels with uh, Russell Brunson for a oh, while. Oh, sure. Yeah. And everyone, like his thing is like every name is a dollar per month on your list. So a list of 10,000 would make you 10,000 a month, but that's like almost selling anything. I've seen like all sorts of stuff, you know? Huh. When I work with Pace, though, Pace is like a rainmaker. So whenever he comes out with something, it's probably like 10x that. So it, it kind of depends who you are what you're doing, but I'm sure a person with a couple thousand followers that sells a real, you know, $10,000 program that creates real results in people, that's worth whatever it costs. You know, like if I can pay somebody 10 grand, but they can show me how to make 200 grand a year, then it's worth well more than that. So it's, it's kind of based on what you're actually selling, I guess. Yeah. It's that concept of the massive transformational value that Frank yeah. Kern talked about so well. Hi there, Robin here. Have you been considering writing a thought leadership book that grows your business? How about writing a quality standout book with a real book publishing deal behind it? 
that not only grows your business, but also grows your influence and reach. In case you're new to the Author's Corner, my name is Robin Colucci, and I help world-class experts write world-changing books and get them published. With over 30 years in the publishing industry, I've helped clients write and publish books with Big Five and other top publishing houses. Many have gone on to become New York Times, Amazon, and Wall Street Journal, as well as USA Today bestsellers. And others have increased their business income by 600 times or more as a result of their book being out in the world and the partnering work that they did with me and my team. If you are a top-notch expert who is ready to write your world-changing book, go ahead and book a free consultation call with my team today. We have a limited number of spots available, and we only take clients who are committed to the process and want to get their book started now. If that sounds like you, go to www.robincolucci.com forward slash application. Go ahead and fill out the application form to be considered for one of our exclusive spots. Again, the link is www.robincolucci.com forward slash application. Now, back to the show. Uh, okay, now there is one of these quotes just really struck me, and I, I'm going to share this, and I would love for you to unpack this for us uh, a bit because I just thought it was such an interesting idea, but I don't fully understand it yet. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, so here it is. Give away written art to all those who need to read it. Give away everything that helps you suffer change. Mm so that you can create a tribe for your work and a foundation for your process. What do you mean by helps you suffer change? I'm just so intrigued by this. Yeah, some of it's what we were just saying. Like I kind of would experiment with things in the shadows and work for other people for so long. And I think the reason why there's so many quotes in the book as opposed to my own writing, which is already changing, is my level of confidence at publishing a book, at putting something out there, right? So the, the few things like getting a small audience, doing these things. Another thing about accountability is like, I'll say, hey, I'm coming out with this course on this day. And I might not, I might be at zero, but I know I've got 30 days to like figure out how to make that course. So those are things where you're causing yourself to suffer change in a positive way. You need to be the type of person that's going to be accountable to your team, to your audience, these things that are out there. Like my goal is to help creative people put their most ambitious work into the world. In order to do that through, I work with clients, I work with some coaching, stuff like that. I need to do the same thing myself. So that is like suffering change for me. I can't keep like waiting till tomorrow or next week or January 1st or Monday or whatever it is. Like you have to start changing right now. And it's like suffering, but it's like suffering the way workouts are suffering or suffering the way finishing a book is suffering. Like it's, it's incredibly valuable mm -hmm. to who you are. And every time you finish something and ship as, as Seth Godin says, or public or whatever, you're putting more evidence that you are who you say you are and that you are who you're going to be in the future. And I think, mm. I think it's such a, it's a massive idea that takes like a ton of little tiny steps to get there. And you said to put their most, what was it, bold or daring? Uh, or? Most ambitious Ambitious work, work yeah. out. And yeah. I love that. I love that. Yeah. Cause I really want to, and it took me a while. Cause first I was thinking like, and I really like, I've, I've just come to this, like 
North star of, of what I want to do recently that really umbrellas everything I'm doing. And it is like helping creatives put their most ambitious work in the world. It can mean a lot of things, but it can't just be another, the same thing you just did. So that means I can work with people that's brand new or they've been around for a long time. It's most ambitious to you should be, there's a book called the crescendo effects by Dale Carnegie and his daughter I interviewed her not long ago. And we're talking about this idea that things should get better and better over your lifetime. And to me, like that's what prolific is. Prolific is not necessarily 10,000 words a day or something like that. It's more like, how do I write till I'm a hundred years old? Like, what are those things to do? Mm-hmm. Like, I like to listen to Peter Attia, who's more like about physical training, but he's like, you don't want to do something now where you're getting yourself injured and then you're out for six months. I think of writing very much the same way. Like that's prolific to me. It's like mm-hmm. a legacy of writing. Yeah. And I, I'm listening to this and I'm thinking about my one woman show, right? Because this is like hugely out of my, you know, yeah. <laughs> and yeah. it freaks me out every day, but it's, but it, but I'm pushing forward and taking the next steps and it, it's exhilarating, you know? And I love, like, aren't you like, I think everyone gets tired of like, if you, if you go get your new favorite author's new book or your favorite filmmaker's new film, if it's not a little different and you're a real fan, you're a little upset, right? Right. You're, not like, you're disappointed. Like, oh, I've seen this. I've seen this before, you know? And it's because you used to wonder, like, you know, uh, the funny example I use is like Will Ferrell, like, hit a streak and then he just did some weird curveballs. Like, he made this movie, Casa de Mi Padre, where it's all in Spanish. Like, why would he do that? But it really challenged him. Like, it was <laughs> at the time, it was his most ambitious work. So I think that's. I really envy people who have made it and they're still like taking some odd chances like that. I love that kind of stuff. And I've, it's also been interesting to see the kind of stuff Will Ferrell's producing now. Yeah. And he like, seems so to he be produces secession, really, which is like, <laughs> yeah, like he's really yeah. committed to bringing forward these really edgy shows. Yeah. And I just saw him last night in Barbie. So that was great. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And, and, you know, that, that wasn't as different a role from him, really. Yeah. <laughs> Even his life, like some, apparently Adam McKay gave him this outfit and it was one of the outfits of the security guard, the Lakers. And he just like put it on during the game and then just stood there. It's just like doing odd things <laughs> that like make him so unique, you know? Yeah. And I think when you're a performer and, and, and I think especially with comedy, you know, if you lose your sense of playfulness, then you're, yeah. you're done, you know? Yeah. And, and really probably, I don't know, I feel like writing, I, I know it's painful many times, but it can also, there also are, are moments that are genuinely fun. Yeah. You know, it's it's not just a torture chamber when you're writing. Yeah. You, you can also have fun with it. Make yourself laugh. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it's up to you again. It's the, the tortured martyr or the playful trickster. Yeah. I'm, I'm in kind of a transition now. Like I got to where I just got, I got tired of the type of work I was doing as, as filling as it once was. I really want to shift over and have more time for family and focus on my own stuff more. Mm-hmm. So making that like mental shift and like saying no to all the good opportunities to wait for the, that's the hardest thing in oh, the world. Yeah. You know, it's like, yeah. I, I got a job, I got a crazy job offer a few days ago. I was like, I got to turn it down. It's not going in this right direction, you know? So it's as difficult as that can be. I think like, it's so important to realize when you're getting to that phase, but it's also like, there was a time years ago when I would write these long, really boring pieces. I worked for eBay writing like three, thousand word things about products you know and i got to a point like i can't write one more word about this stuff i've got to go do something else you know so i think it's good to take those chances when you're young but if you're if you're in this for a lifetime it's gonna happen every so often where you just have to make a change and you gotta burn the ships yeah yeah Yeah. i love that example too yeah Yeah. (laughs) for sure for sure well what is your favorite 
piece of advice in your book, which, by the way, listeners, this book is loaded with barrels of ink uh, of great advice. So, um, but what is your favorite piece of advice just to put you on the spot? <laughs> I think the most like universally helpful is when we kind of already covered, like don't try to write it, in, write and edit at the same time. Um, I'm really leaning back to this idea, which, you know, will be the possibly the second book is that you really need to take it all the way to the end. Like whatever that means to you, that could just mean finishing a draft or publishing or shipping. It's like, there's, there's always small amounts of that, but once you realize that, you know, you're in some ways you you're alone in this, like there people will come out and help you. But if you know that it's never going to be easy on you and you're just going to have to get it done, there's not going to be a, you know, overnight success story that comes with like 10 years of putting in work. But if you're prolific and you know, like you're going to do this for a lifetime, it's actually not that scary. It's actually like, well, you know, it's more of a stoic mind of success or failure. I'm going to keep doing these things and keep figuring out who I am and who I want to be. And I think just knowing that like the Calvary's not coming in the way you may have thought they were, the publisher's not going to take over the studios. I mean, maybe they will, but more than likely they want, mm -hmm. they won't. So just like assume that you're going to have to kind of run the whole thing by yourself. And then you actually have more creativity, not less creativity to do it in your own voice and the way you want to make it your own thing. Then if you get to that level where they do come calling, you probably won't want them anyway because right. you'll be at that next level. So it's kind of, it's up to you to just work in that, those first zero to one stage to figure all that out. You know, and that's, that reminds me of something else that you said that I really loved is like, don't write to get a bestseller. Don't yeah. write to get the book deal. Don't write, you know, you're, you're, you're writing Well, you, I want to hear you complete that and tell us what, what are we writing for? Yeah. I think the biggest thing is like, I talked to a lot of screenwriters and, and I'll, I've recently kind of asked, been asking about pitching and a lot of people would think like, logically it makes more sense just to get really good at pitching and pitch a bunch of ideas and be great in the room and get the meetings and relationships. But if you're great at pitching, you're not great at writing. So actually what you need to be doing is developing your writing and the pitching can come later. The, the big, like, hilarious examples, like I've heard a lot of comedians say they'll see a comedian with a great website and no jokes. It's the same kind of thing. Like, work on your craft, and those <laughs> yeah. other things will kind of spiral out. Yeah. And don't, because, and I think that a huge mistake that people make is they look around and say, well, what's popular now? What are people buying yeah. now? And, and that's really bad with books. Yeah. Because if you looked around when Twilight came out and decided to write a vampire book and you were done yeah. in two years, you were out of luck. Because what's hot now is is not, first of all, likely to be hot by the time you're done writing. But yeah. even more so, it's not really where you want to be coming from. Like the best writing comes from inside. Oh, yes. That was something else you talked about was that emotional human aspect. Mm -hmm. um, so I'll let you talk about it because. Yeah, I mean, I mean, part of that is like, thing. I think I think people, you know, the first thing you hear is write what you know. And I think that's good advice, but usually taken the wrong way. So the, the, what the people think is like, well, I'm a school teacher, so I'll write about school teachers. And some of that's true, but more, it's more so like there's plot and theme in a film. Your theme is fathers and sons, relationship, trouble, things like that. That's what you know. And then within that heart, you're going to figure everything else out. Usually if you watch a movie, you'll, you'll realize I'm running a, a, a TV series now and the show is about risk. So everyone in my show either believes that it's too risky to take a chance or life is only worth 
living if you take chances. So every character in that show believes one of those two things. So as I'm, I'm kind of moving outward that way, it's like, that's the blueprint I can expand upon it. Where when I was a younger writer, I would be like, oh, this is cool. He should say this, they should do that. They could do this. And then it's just like a hodgepodge of like nothing as opposed to like, like every Christopher Nolan movie is about time and he spirals out to these other ideas. But because he's got that North Star and that origin, the same way with me trying to help creatives get their most ambitious work in the world, it's very binary once again. It's like, oh, well, if I'm going this way and it doesn't feel like I'm going that way, I probably shouldn't be doing it. And that's usually true with your work. And, you know, I write like in the work that I write, when I do write characters, I write about troubling anti-heroes barreling towards a violent, inevitable catharsis. Now that's a very specific thing. Yeah. And if it's not that, it's probably not going in there. That's interesting. So you write about say violent, say this again. I want I want yeah. to understand this better. Go ahead. Um <laughs> violent, yeah. violent anti-hero um, chaotic anti-heroes going towards a cathartic end. Yeah, Is it's like it? uh let's say underdog anti-heroes barreling towards barreling. a cathartic yet inevitable catharsis. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So it's kind of moving in that direction. I, and I like after I wrote a couple of scripts and they didn't quite work. And then I realized like you can look at the 5,000, you've probably seen 5,000 movies in your life, but you can only like, you talk about the same 10. Right. So what, what aspects are about those 10 movies that really stand out to you? And like me personally, I like Taylor Sheridan and Paul Schrader and, and a handful of people like that. Uh -huh. And the characters I write kind of fit into these worlds. So then I kind of just barreled it down and filtered it down to like, oh, I, can't, I write this guy. Like, this is who I write about every time. Mm. And it's just like this like underdog anti-hero going towards this catharsis moment, you know, this like inevitable type thing. So it's like the character I'm writing now, our character I wrote a couple of years ago, I've got a script floating around. It's about a, a bootlegger in the 1920s, about a 19 year old kid who kind of gets in the wrong way, but he's got a choice. Does he follow the family trail or does he get into this illegal world, which Obviously, it's going to be a better story if he goes in that direction, right. but it's it's that kind of idea. And then mm -hmm. each character I write, the protagonist is often very similar to that idea. Well, I'm I'm thinking I might have to revisit if I'm going to screenwrite because two of the 10 <laughs> movies I talk about are The Godfather and Finding Nemo. So I'm, yeah. I'm not quite sure. Well, there's both fathers and sons. Just well, oh, there you there. go. <laughs> All your theme. A lot, and a lot of times it Man, seems look so at how you different. just pick that out, Brock. I'm yeah. Really so there's like two very different movies was like Get Out and Crazy Rich Asians, but they're both about meeting your spouse's parents. As, oh, as yeah. different as they are, there is some theme there. And like, maybe that's what you're, you're looking at or uh, some kind of a parental instinct and something like that. That's, oh, well, look at that. I love that. You're almost like a therapist, Brock. This is like, you're, <laughs> you're, you're reading my, un, my subconscious mind. I love it. <laughs> it's fantastic. Oh my goodness. What fun we are having. Okay. Um, let me just make sure I don't have other questions that I have not sure. uh, presented to you. I have to go back to my notes here for a second because, oh yes, I love this. I love this. Uh, there's the idea that writers possess some kind of special genius, but even the best writers will want to kill themselves when they read their first draft. Right. <laughs> I might say, especially the best writers, but uh, <laughs> please elaborate on that. I just, I, I, first of all, I love that quote. So <laughs> I think, I mean, it's so hard to get what's in your head on the page. Right. And it, it just takes work and work and work and work and filtering and changing and adjusting. There's this, uh, there's a marketing book called made to stick. And in that book, there's this research idea 
where it's called tappers and listeners. And it's like, you tell me to play a song and I tap it. And I know the song in my head and you don't know the song. I tap it on the table. You guess what it is. No one got it right because I hear it so clearly, but it's just a bunch of nothing on the table. Right. And you're listening. You're like, and like, there's a couple that might stand out to you. When you're trying to get that idea on the page, it's like the same thing. So it's going to take like more and more. It's It starts with tapping, then you add some music, then you add the lyrics. You have to add all these things to see what it is. And it's just going to take time to do it. There's no other way than it just taking time to do it. Now, once in a while, you know, where I think people do believe in the muse is like, you know, John Lennon would say a song popped into his head and wrote it as is. And, and mm-hmm. that that's just, that's insane. And I think it does happen. It it, I think it could happen to everyone, but yeah. I think it would happen once in a while, very, mm-hmm. very like once a decade or something. Not like yes. you shouldn't expect for it to happen. It's not a strategy. It's, right, right, it's, it's yeah. a gift. It's definitely yeah. not a strategy, but yeah, right. I, I do. I know that that happens, um, but not, yeah. not, not the right. Uh, I like, there's a James Cameron, when he makes movies, his crew wears a shirt that says, hope is not a strategy. That's part of the quote on there. <laughs> so you have to really plan on what you're doing, not exactly. just hope for the best. That is, that is so true. That is so true. There was something else. Oh yeah. And that reminds me of something else because, because I, I also found so much truth in this. We want to have discipline. We want to be writing on a consistent basis and it does help us be prolific. And there are these moments, I think you described it as taking a back seat to clarify your vision. And that is such an important part of the creative process. So would you share with our listeners a little bit about that idea? Yeah, I mean, part of it, I, I do talk about rest. I mean, some of that's important for individual projects. You can, somebody just told me that like Mark Twain wrote wrote Tom Sawyer, then he wrote, started Huck Finn and then set it down for like a decade and picked it back up and wrote it from there. So some of it's true. Like you really just have to let it change. And I think you're changing. Like stuff I wrote when I was 20 is different now that I'm 35 and I have a little baby girl and I think Mm -hmm. differently about things. Mm -hmm. Some of it's that, but some of it's just like, give yourself a week, give yourself a month, whatever you can do. That's why I like to do a multitude of projects at once too. Cause if you're just writing one project and you're trying to give yourself a month off, that's probably too much. So it's probably like, for me, it's more like shifting. That's kind of where I, I see these things. But like I kind of said earlier, like I, I got to a, a point professionally where I just wasn't fulfilled with what I was doing. And I saw a harder path, but a better path. And that's the one I kind of have to take. I don't see another way to do mm-hmm. it. And, that, and that's really where I'm headed now because my real goal, like I, I love working with people. I want to work with serious people. I don't want to do smaller jobs. I want to do big jobs. I want to work with people that are doing their most ambitious work. Mm-hmm. Personally, I want to do my own ambitious work. I want to make films and write movies and uh, write books. So that's what I'm doing. So I'm like, does it lead me in this goal of being like who I most want to be? And I've heard people like, if you have no idea where to start, you can imagine like talking to yourself when you're 85 years old, what advice might that version of you give you? And it's, you probably know the answer, but for mm-hmm. some reason it won't, it won't click. So someone else, even if it's your future self tells you what to do. That is absolutely true. And, at the, and I want to add though, too, because I have had the experience where I might be in the situation where I'm just hitting my head against a wall. Like I'm trying to come up with a title for a client's book or something like that. Yeah. Right. And I'm just like brainstorming and writing things down and everything stinks. And, and I just put it down and I call, I, I say, I, I have a term for this. I say, I'm putting it in the crock pot. <laughs> right. Right. And I'm not going to think about it consciously. I'm putting it in the crock pot all weekend. We'll see what happens. Yeah. And I guarantee you every time it just pops up within, you know, two to seven days, whatever that, whatever yeah. that thing is that I was working on, 
and then it just like emerges and uh, yeah. or or like it could just it could be a bigger question like what should we do here you know should we do this or this or should we add this yeah. or what what's missing in this book or whatever yeah. and i and i think that there is um I, I don't know what we call that like it's like turning it over hmm. you're still working on it we we don't get to do this for a year on one on one question yeah. <laughs> but um i don't know that that is also part of the process i think that needs to be honored in a way. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I almost like I very much know it happens. I almost ignore it by skipping around to other projects. Like mm. I, I kind of got, if I get stuck with something, um, I like the way that you're saying it, but that almost like puts, puts pressure on me to kind of <laughs> marinate. Where if I'm just like, I'm going to throw this over here. And then, and then it's like, I stumble upon it and now I'm a genius, but really it's the same thing you're saying. You know? It's just like, Oh, this just had to kind of cook a little bit. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And I think that that's one of the reasons, one of the many reasons why I'm such an advocate for, you know, let's spend more than 90 days writing your book. Uh, yeah. Because I think that if you rush it, you miss the opportunity to see what comes forward when those ideas are cooking in you for months at a time, yeah. you know? So I, I say at least six months to write your book or else you, yeah. you it's it's not cooked you know <laughs> you're not yeah. going to get all the flavors released yeah definitely like i feel like there's when i write client work it's like whatever crazy schedule they want to stick to and you, you can turn it out that way but yeah. there is something i really like i don't know i feel like it's a better book like i wrote ink by yeah. the barrel that way i'm throwing it in there and i'm letting i'm letting it all kind of marinate together and come out to be this thing and then i'm just my job is really just to put the puzzle together it's not right. so much figuring out every single piece of it you know mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think that's that is one of the greatest things about authoring a book is the the journey of personal discovery that you go on, and hopefully you learn something about yourself, and hopefully that makes you a better expert than you were yeah. before you wrote it, and that does require sitting in it for a while and, yeah. and being with the information and and challenging your own beliefs and yeah. and asking yourself, do I really mean this still? I think too, yeah, and then, and some of it's like. Do you really want, are, is, are you who you thought you identified yeah. with, right? So like I, I've got some courses coming out and I'm very purposely, it'll be like how to write a book in 30 days, how to write a movie in 30 days, but I'm just lying. To, I'm here, Here's breaking news. I'm just <laughs> lying to people so they can see that, well, you can do it, a but if you draft. really want to do it, you should do this. <laughs> yeah. Like I want you to, I want you to get through it and find out, do you actually like this thing? And then once you, those gears start to turn, like, I want to take you further than that. This is mm -hmm. just an interesting introduction this is like the guy at the mall handing out the samples like there's way more going on back here that's not on the menu and everything else you know yeah, that, and there's yeah. it's not a bad strategy to just get it out yeah as long sure. as you understand we're not taking that draft and putting a cover on it <laughs> right yeah that's not yeah it's not going out anywhere yeah you know? it, this you is won't just want it to after you read it no you so. will not right and <laughs> i can see that being a strategy to uh, just get it on out of your brain and into a document in 30 days yeah. and then and then make it good and then spend yeah. five months making it good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. Well, Brock, what a great conversation. I just really, for our listeners, I mean, there's this is just like a goldmine of uh, really great advice from a, a seasoned expert. And I thank you so much for being here. But before I let you go, I must ask you my signature final question, mm -hmm. which is, what have I not asked you that you would love to answer? Oh, wow. Um, love to answer. I like to, something I'm thinking now of like my podcast and what I often like ask people, especially towards the end, I like to ask a lot of people 
what their false beliefs were, like what they thought about breaking into the profession that they now know is no longer true. Ooh, I love that. And I, I, I do think it's, I, I do think it's ironically more of the same though. Like, I think I was obsessed with this idea that I could be a J.D. Solinger or a Tarantino and I write one thing and then I'm just, I'm just swarmed with love and admiration and, and everything else and whatever you want, it's money and all these things. But really it's like, that's just talking about results. And, and it's really like, once you fall in love with the process, the results are going to come, they're going to come however they do it. But I think once you really love the craft, um, that's what's so important. So that was my false belief. And I feel like I'm better for it though, because ironically, there's very few people it happens to. the the best The best example is like young athletes who get millions of dollars when they're 19. Yeah. You see what happens there. So the world, as tough as it seems, it's actually a a better place for it, and you're going to be better off finding your slow success and being prolific and finding your journey that way. So I think that's like one of the most important things for people to understand when they're. They finally, you know, Stephen Pressfield says turn pro. It just means turning your mind and then moving in that direction. Mm -hmm. And, you know, Salinger graced us with one book. Yeah. Harper Lee had so much pressure from The Killer Mockingbird. Right. I, I feel like that's my opinion. She had so much pressure. How do you follow How up do you with follow that? You know? that? Right. And uh, I, even, I, I interviewed Aaron Sorkin and he had so much success and still does, but he felt like he couldn't take a chance. He couldn't go and write something that wasn't a Sorkin dialogue originally, he couldn't make something different because mm -hmm. he was, you know, these golden handcuffs. So I think, you know, those people listening right now and you're starting with a followers of zero, you're in the best place you can be because you can write whatever you want and say whatever <laughs> you want and be crazy. And, you know, it, it doesn't matter. Just like be who you want to be and figure that out as you as you publish things. Yeah. I mean, that's that's one exercise I sometimes give my clients if I feel like they're uh, concerned, overly concerned about how things yeah. are going to land is, <laughs> is just write the thing you're afraid to tell your readers. Just write yeah. the thing you're afraid to say. And it, it might not be about you. It might be about what you're about to suggest they go through. Mm. Um, <laughs> what you don't want them to right. know about what you're selling. Uh, right. <laughs> but write yeah. it down because if you're willing to tell the truth, just that alone will put you yeah. above 90% of your competition and, yeah. and make you stand out. Be, and people, people can sense when you're willing to tell the truth and it helps people trust you. And that often means saying the unpopular thing or, or going against conventional wisdom. But that, yeah, that's if you really, and if you really want to serve people, like you do need to tell them what it really takes. I that's mean, there, right. there is like some levels to it. Like when I said, like, I would do a free challenge and like, Hey, it's just fun. Go right. And then it's like, as you kind of take it though, I'm like, okay, now here's the reality of what this looks like over time. Like anybody can do it or anybody can sprint, but like, what's the marathon look like? Yeah, absolutely. Cause everything that leads to true success or lasting success is a marathon and it, and success is you don't graduate to uh, oh, now I have the success diploma and I can stop. Right. That's just <laughs> yeah, right. And the other part of that, one thing I, to, to go back to your last question is like that I've kind of realized part of this whole thing is like, you don't need that permission either. You can just go do these things. You don't need a certificate. You don't need anybody to pat you on the back. You can just go out there and start doing what you want to do right now. Like it's the first time in history, technology is there. The information is there. You can just go do your thing and figure it out as you go. Exactly. And the, the key is starting. The key is getting going. Brock, thank you. This has been so amazing. And I'm so glad that we were able to have you here with us today on the Author's Corner. This was great. Thanks again. I appreciate it. Thank you.
Thank you for tuning in to another amazing episode of The Author's Corner. You're one step closer to writing the world-changing book you've dreamed about for years. To access today's show notes and other helpful resources, simply visit our website at theauthorscorner.com. A positive review would be appreciated. Until next time.